Hello and welcome to A History of Alexander the Great, Remastered. Episode 4, The Young Alexander. Now we've covered the rise of Philip, classical Greece, and the Persian Wars, we probably have enough of a background to really get into Alexander's story. This week, we'll go back to when he was born to follow his early life, up to the moment he becomes king. So, without further ado, let's go. Alexander's father was Philip II of Macedon, and his mother was Olympias, an Epirian princess. Olympias's uncle, Arambas, the king of Epirus, made an alliance with Philip in 358 BC, and marriage between Philip and Olympias was part of the deal. Philip was 24, and Olympias was 17. In a tale that will be full of omens, we have our first one here. On the night before the consummation of the marriage, Olympias dreamed that a lightning bolt struck her womb. A sheet of flames broke out, which spread far and wide, before the flames died away. After a while, Philip had a dream that he was sealing up his wife's womb, and the seal was engraved with a lion. His soothsayers all said that he should keep a closer eye on Olympias. Well, all but one. Aristander said that this meant Olympias was pregnant, and that her son would be bold and lion-like. There are also rumours that Philip had seen Olympias in bed with a snake, who was Zeus in disguise. Once Philip realised his wife was the object of affection of Zeus, his passion then cooled for her. The story of the snake probably originated because Olympias was involved with the cult of Dionysus, the god of wine, ritual madness, and ecstasy. This involved drunken ritual madness and snakes. Philip's volatility and Olympias's jealousy led to a strain on the marriage, rather than Olympias sleeping with Zeus. Alexander was born in 356. He was brought up by his nurse in his early years, and later on by the relative of his mother, Leonidas, and by Lashkamachus. From early on, Alexander was seen to be quite self-restrained and always chasing fame. There is a wonderful quote of Alexander's, said when with his friends after news of Philip's victory had come. Boys, my father will forestall me in everything. There will be nothing great or spectacular for you and me to show the world. Plutarch, Alexander, chapter 5. At some point, we're not exactly sure when, a horse dealer tried selling Philip a horse, Bucephalus. The king and his friends saw the horse and saw that it was wild and wouldn't let anyone ride him. Philip became angry at the horse dealer for trying to sell him such an untamed animal. Alexander, watching, became angry at Philip for giving up such a brilliant animal simply because he didn't know how to ride him. After realising Alexander was upset, Philip asked him if he thought he could do better than his elders. Alexander responded, At least I could manage this one better. Philip then asked what penalty he would pay if he couldn't tame the animal. Alexander retorted, The price of one horse. The whole company burst out laughing, and Philip let the boy have a go. 
Alexander walked by the horse for a while. He soon realised that the horse was afraid of his shadow, and calmed him down. After a while, Alexander was able to mount the horse, constantly reassuring it, until he was able to break out into a full gallop, completely in control. The crowd broke out into applause. Philip actually wept with joy, saying, O my son, seek out a kingdom worthy of thyself, for Macedonia is too little for thee. Plutarch, Alexander, chapter 6. When Alexander was aged 13, Philip decided to get him a tutor. The eventual choice would be Aristotle. Aristotle would teach at the Royal Academy of Macedon, teaching Alexander and a few others, such as future kings, Ptolemy and Cassander. Aristotle taught the boys the principles of ethics and politics, as well as medicine, literature and other aspects of philosophy. When Aristotle released treaties on some of these philosophical points, Alexander complained to him for making points that had been told to Alexander personally well known. Aristotle replied that his treaties were useless for teaching or learning the subject from the beginning, and that they served more as a guidebook for those who were already familiar with the topic. Aristotle gave Alexander a love of books, his favourite of which was the Iliad. Alexander saw the Iliad as the handbook of the art of war, and took a copy of it on campaign with him. Alexander's favourite character would be Achilles, who he was supposedly descended from on his mother's side. Although he would become estranged with Aristotle, at least in these early years, he was a close friend. Alexander remarked that although Philip had given him the gift of life, Aristotle taught him how to live well. As Alexander grew older, he began to have a role in governance. He had previously met with ambassadors with Persia, who were impressed with Philip, but felt that Philip was nothing compared to his son. When Alexander was aged 16, Philip went on campaign against Byzantium, and he left Alexander in control of Macedonia as regent. While he was regent, the Mighty, a Thracian tribe, broke out in revolts. Alexander was able to crush them. He captured their city, throughout the Mydians, repopulated it with Greeks, and named it Alexandropolos. Just a bit egocentric. But don't worry, we have many, many more examples of Alexander's inflated ego ahead of us. Philip then returned to Macedon and sent Alexander into southern Thrace to crush some more revolts. The Amphitryonic League, who we mentioned last time, allies of Philip, complained that the citizens of the city of Amphysia had been cultivating land that was sacred to Apollo and requested help from Philip. He generously accepted the request and thus launched an invasion of Greece, the Fourth Sacred War. This was the moment we talked about last episode, in 338, when Greece finally exploded with resentment at Philip. Philip marched into central Greece at the head of 30,000 infantry and 2,000 cavalry, and tried convincing the city of Thebes to join him. Meanwhile, Athens tried convincing Thebes to join them in facing the Macedonians. 
Thebes decided to join the Athenians, giving them a combined force of 35,000 troops, including the 300 members of the Theban Sacred Band, Thebes's elite troops. The two forces met in 338 BC at Chironia. The Greeks deployed between the Kesphios River on their right and Mount Actian on their left. The Thebans defended the Greek right and the Athenians defended the Greek left. The Macedonians lined up against them, with Philip on the Macedonian right and Alexander, aged 18, controlling the Macedonian left. It is unclear what happened in the battle, but this is what historians think happened. The two lines met and fought what could be described as a meat grinder battle. The armies attacked each other and there were many casualties, with neither side able to gain the upper hand. This advantaged Philip, as his troops were more experienced and could handle fatigue better. After letting the inexperienced Athenians become weakened, Philip pulled his troops back, rotating them around the centre just like a clock hand. This stretched the Greek line. When Philip turned around and slammed into the exhausted Greeks, the Greeks were routed. Alexander then was able to break through the Greek left, the first person to break the Theban sacred band. Although there is another version. This one states that Philip pulled back, but actually going backwards rather than the rotation we saw in the first version. This created a gap as the Athenians pursued Philip. Alexander then entered the gap and swung around the back of the Thebans, routing them. Meanwhile, Philip's troops turned and crushed the Athenians. I won't pretend that I know which of these versions actually happened, but the result was the same either way. Philip was now the most powerful force in Greece. Philip surprised the Greeks by not besieging Athens and Corinth. Instead, pursuing an alliance. He and Alexander toured Greece, but when Sparta refused to talk with Philip, he attacked the local region. Philip then returned to Corinth, and tried to create an anti-Persian confederacy, similar to what had been created in the Persian invasion, you will recall from the first episode. This has been dubbed the League of Corinth. All states, apart from Sparta, joined and appointed Philip Hegemon, or leader, of the League. Philip was told by the League that it would be his job to lead a campaign against Persia to avenge the destruction of Athens. See, I told you to remember that. Things were looking promising for Philip and Alexander, but privately, not all was well in the royal family. In Macedonia, the king was allowed to have multiple wives, Olympias was just one of many wives that Philip had. We already know that Olympias's and Philip's marriage was quite strained, and Olympias used this to turn Alexander against his father. This came to a head when Philip married a Macedonian woman called Cleopatra. Olympias was an Apirian and was seen as semi-barbarian. If Philip and Cleopatra had a son, he could be seen as the heir apparent rather than Alexander. At the wedding feast, Cleopatra's uncle, Atalus, who was drunk, drinking bouts being a part of Macedonian culture, called the Macedonians to pray that now there may be an illegitimate heir. 
Alexander was furious, screaming, Villain, do you take me for a bastard then? And threw a drinking cup at his head. Philip jumped up, drew his sword against Alexander, but he was so drunk that he tripped and fell over, saving Alexander's life. Alexander then jeered, Here is the man who was making ready to cross from Europe to Asia, and who cannot even cross from one table to another without losing his balance. Plutarch, Alexander, Chapter 9 Alexander then stormed out, taking Olympias to Epirus while he went to Illyria. About six months after this happened, a family friend, Demaratus the Corinthian, visited Philip. There was the usual pomp and circumstance that surrounds royal courts, but once this had been done with, they got down to business. Philip asked whether the Greek cities were in harmony. Demaratus replied, It is all very well for you to show so much concern for the affairs of Greece, Philip. How about the disarmony you have brought about in your own household? Plutarch, Alexander, Chapter 9 This knocked Philip to his senses. He sent for Alexander, and with help from Demaratus, Alexander was persuaded to come home. The royal family was reconciled, at least publicly. Privately, it's quite unlikely. The next year, Pixadarus, the ruler of Caria in western Turkey, proposed a marriage between his eldest daughter and Aridaeus, an illegitimate son of Philip who was described by Plutarch as being backward as a result of some disease. Plutarch, Alexander, chapter 77. But in the modern and more politically correct world, we would say he was mentally challenged. He would eventually become Alexander's successor, but that is a story for much later. Anyway, when Olympias heard of this, she sent a distorted version of the story to Alexander, saying that this was part of a scheme of Philip's to make Arihidas his heir. It shows how unstable the royal family was that Alexander would so easily believe this. Alexander then sent a message to Pixadarus, which said, in its simplest terms, Why bother with Aridaeus when his daughter could marry Alexander? Pixadarus was delighted with the proposition, but Philip wasn't. Philip was shocked with the idea of Alexander marrying a half-barbarian carrion, and cancelled the whole arrangement. In his rage, he ordered the messenger Alexander had used to contact Pixadarus to be killed, and banished several of Alexander's friends, including Ptolemy, the future king of Egypt Ptolemy, who some sources say was an illegitimate son of Philip, and Nearchus, who we will deal with towards the end of our account. Later in the year, 336, yet another marriage took place. This one between Alexander I of Epirus, brother of Olympias, and Cleopatra, daughter of Philip and Olympias, which, yes, was his niece. The marriage was for Philip to make an alliance with Alexander of Epirus, because Olympias had been trying to convince her brother to go to war with Philip while she was in exile, after Philip had married Cleopatra, but not the Cleopatra who is getting married now, the Cleopatra who was the pure Macedonian, 
and daughter of Attalus, who insulted Alexander at that wedding. That Alexander is Alexander the Great, not Alexander of Epirus. Wow, that was confusing. And I'm afraid it doesn't get better as time goes on. There are a lot of Ptolemies, Cleopatras, Alexanders, Seleucuses, and many others. I'll do my best to make it clear which Cleopatra or Ptolemy we're talking about. But anyway, we must return to the wedding between Alexander I of Epirus and Cleopatra, daughter of Philip and Olympias. So it was a wedding, a happy time for everyone, when along comes Pausanias of Orestes, one of Philip's bodyguards, who goes ahead and stabs Philip to death. This begs the question, why? There are fourth schools of thought on the subject. I'm not going to act like I know which one is correct, because I really don't have a clue, but for your enjoyment, here they are. Version 1 is that Pausanias killed Philip on his own initiative. The version is based on the accepted fact that Pausanias became Philip's lover, but Philip got bored and got a new lover, also called, wait for it, Pausanias. For clarity, we'll call the Pausanias who killed Philip, Pausanias of Orestes, and we'll call this new Philip, Pausanias the lover. Pausanias of Orestes was jealous of Pausanias the lover, and began insulting him, calling him promiscuous, along with other jealous insults. And then Pausanias the lover was so upset by this, he decided to kill himself. Pausanias the lover told Attalus, the father of the Cleopatra that Philip married, that he was going to do this. Indeed, in a battle, Pausanias the lover jumped in front of Philip when Philip's life was in danger, receiving fatal wounds and dying. After Attalus heard of what happened to Pausanias the lover, he invited Pausanias of Orestes around for dinner, got him drunk, and then let him be raped by his mule drivers. Pausanias of Orestes then complained to Philip. Philip did nothing because Attalus was to become his new father-in-law. So, that is accepted fact. But from this point, there is disagreement among the sources. Diodorus reports in Book 16, Chapters 91 through 94, that Pausanias of Orestes was so infuriated that he used the opportunity of the wedding between Alexander of Epirus and Cleopatra to kill Philip. This explanation of the murder as the annoyed underling is quite a common story in the ancient world. Students of Roman history will find the story similar to the assassination of Victorionius in the Gallic Empire in 270 AD, and of Carinus in 285. Added to the unlikelihood of this version is that the insult happened eight years before Pausanias actually killed Philip. The second version of the story is that it was Olympias who convinced Pausanias to murder Philip. Olympias and Philip hadn't been close for years, and she felt severely threatened by his marriage to Cleopatra in particular. That she wanted her brother to attack Philip meant that she wanted him dead. And after her brother abandoned her cause to make an alliance with Philip, she would have had to do the deed herself. She merely convinced Pausanias to kill Philip, which he was willing to do 
after Philip refused to punish Attalus. After Philip's death, some sources say that she had his widow Cleopatra and Cleopatra's infant son roasted over a brazier. See Pausanias, Book 8, Chapter 7. So the image that is painted for us by the sources show Olympias as quite a horrible person, but that may not be fair. She certainly wanted what was best for Alexander, and most likely for herself, and what that means is that she will not have been popular with the historians at the time, who feared powerful women. Important women of the ancient world are usually portrayed in two categories, depending on how much power the women had, either as noble saints on earth, or as an evil stepmother. As I'm sure you've worked out, Olympias is portrayed as an evil stepmother. Therefore, perhaps we need to take what we are told about Olympias with a pinch of salt. Version number three is that it was Alexander who convinced Pausanias to murder Philip. The argument for this case is that Alexander was annoyed at Philip for winning victories that should have been his, and that he was feeling threatened that Philip would replace him with another heir, if given the time. There is a report that when Pausanias met with Alexander and spoke to him of his injustice, Alexander quoted a verse from Euripides' Medea, that's the one with Jason and the Golden Fleece, which was, The father, the bride, and bridegroom all at once, meaning that he should kill Atalus, Cleopatra, and Philip. See Plutarch Alexander chapter 10. After Philip's death, Alexander would execute Atalus, and we've already seen a Cleopatra killed, so all three would be dead. After Pausanias killed Philip, Alexander's friends chased him down and killed him. Could this be because he wanted him dead before he was able to talk? The last version of events is that the Persians used Pausanias to kill Philip. Philip was about to lead an invasion of Persia, so you can understand why the Persians wanted him dead. If Philip was to die, then the 20-year-old Alexander would take the throne, and the Persians would have preferred this new, inexperienced king than an experienced and very good general. This was at least the official version. In a letter to Darius, Alexander mentions how Darius boasted of killing Philip. See Arian, Book 2, Chapter 14. So, like I say, I don't know which version is correct. If I was forced into choosing, I guess I would say that the Persians were behind the assassination, as I feel they would be the people with the most to gain from Philip's death. Either way, Philip was dead, and Alexander was now king. Before the narrative advances too far, I would like to formally introduce two characters who will play a major part in our narrative, Hephaestion and Parmenio. We know very little about Hephaestion's early years, but he was probably a similar age to Alexander. He was a page at the Macedonian court, and he was probably a student to Aristotle, along with Alexander. He probably went on campaigns with Philip during the last years of his rule. That's about it. Hephaestion is important in our story because he was Alexander's best friend, 
and quite possibly his male lover. That's all we have to say on him for the moment. And now let's look at Parmenio. Parmenio, also called Parmenian, was born in about 400 BC, making him 64 at the time of Philip's death. We know almost nothing of his early years, but he was a general under Philip and rose to be his chief military lieutenant. He had a son, Philotas, who was one of Alexander's companions. That is also all we're going to say on him, but they will both be important in Alexander's story, so the sooner we know who they are, the better. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please visit us online, thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod, youtube.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, and feel free to send an email my way, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week when we cover the early years of Alexander's rule.